Welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Today's installment is a bonus episode, another interview from HeroesCon, a spotlight. Today, the spotlight is on Laura Lee Gulledge. We met at the 2018 HeroesCon, and she is a writer, an artist, an educator from Virginia. Her work has been both Eisner and Harvey Award nominated. Laura Lee has an MA in art education. She's a teaching artist through the Virginia Commission of the Arts. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, she hosted a panel on Friday of the con, teaching comic series, Why Diversity Matters. Comics are becoming more and more diverse in theme and subject matter. Audiences are changing as a reflection of this diversity. Does this mean that the curriculums and courses need to adapt to this shift? And that's what Laura Lee talked about as described in the convention program. So, we talk about the topics covered during that panel, what her thoughts are on diversity in education, and about three of her graphic novels, Page by Page, Will and Wit, and Sketchbook Dares. Currently, she is working on a YA graphic novel that she plans to release in 2020. Like many of the interviews I conducted over the course of Heroes Con 2018, many were new guests on the show. I was thrilled to meet them and very excited to talk about both their work and their passion projects. And so join me for the brilliant Laura Lee Gulledge, artist, writer, artner, and educator, talking about education diversity and her work. Here now on Creator Talks. Last evening, I wasn't able to attend, but I do want to learn more about why we need more diversity. We know there's more diversity in comics now, more diverse creators, a lot more out there for everyone. There's something for everyone. Talk a bit about what you talked about at the panel. Uh, no, it was a good panel, except our other panelist, um, Courtney, I forget his last name, I want to say Sanders, um, didn't make it for whatever reason, so it wasn't as... It was a little, I wish I was more back and forth because it was a little more me talking. Well, I'll which, see what I can as do. As a white help. woman, you know. Well, like there's, I guess I'm not going to help that much. <laughs> if I'm a white guy, no, I'll help you out. No, I mean, if you want to go back and forth about what you talked about. But what do I know? Maybe the listeners will want to chime in as well later on with their comments. But please continue, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Basically, how we were sort of celebrating how welcoming and inclusive the whole medium of comics is, and how things have really been changing in recent years with more diverse creators, more diverse characters, uh, more different points of view. Uh, like we were sort of observing how, with sexuality in particular, there's the conversation is so much more open. For example, I have a character in my first book, page by page, that is sort of. She's queer, but it's very subtle. Like, I sort of imply it, but I don't, like, have a sign with arrows saying, like, I'm gay. Because I thought that that would make, then she would be the gay character. And I wanted her to be the musician, you know, the friend. I thought it might disrupt from the story. So I leave little hints. So a lot of people write, a lot of readers sort of figure it out. And they're like, oh, like, Jules, like, awesome. Um, But now, I could totally get away saying it, because... Even since the book came out, even when I work with young people, it's like, oh, what's your name? What's your preferred gender pronoun? And they're so comfortable talking about their sexuality. And a lot of the adults, we were sort of raised that, oh, we can't talk about that. So it's interesting how they're sort of challenging us to, if anything, take more risks and open up more and write 
I don't know, characters that are more reflective of the array of people in our lives. So I was like, oh, maybe now when I have a character, I could actually, I can get into their sexuality. Maybe it's not a disruption because that's something that the kids are looking to identify with to put themselves in context. They want to see themselves reflected. Um, so I try to create you know, diverse characters to reflect people I know in my life who I don't see represented, but mostly just to help encourage storytellers to tell their stories. Because, like, comics are used a lot in ESL classrooms for English language learners. And people will tell me, like, oh, we need more Spanish language comics. I'm like, I agree we need more Spanish language comics. I'm not the one to tell that story. Let's empower the, like, young people to tell their stories. So we, we made comics where all these kids wrote about their immigrant stories. So I feel like that I can't, you know, like Jean Yang says that, uh, oh, you should feel comfortable writing characters different from yourself. I'm like, well, that's you, you know, Mr. Rockstar. Uh, you know, <laughs> I feel a little more self-conscious, but I think about creating inclusion and diversity in different ways. Like, um, I tend to draw characters that look like me. They're kind of like skinny. Um, and I'm with new book. I'm really trying to do more diversity of body types because, like, I just don't know how to draw uh, like more curvy girls because I don't know how like the shoulders and like how I don't know. I don't understand like the movement as much. So I was like, I need to do more figure drawing. I want to reflect, you know, uh, everybody that's out there. Yeah. So I feel like it takes a lot of shapes mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. of how to because. Comics is like the blue collar working creatives, the island of misfit toys. Like, it's people here don't care if you like went to school for it or who you know. And I feel like that's one reason it's very inclusive and welcoming. Like, I didn't experience any trouble when I was getting into comics. People were like, oh yeah, come on in. The more, the merrier. Um, and also because there's no money in it, so that really weeds out. Uh, people who are doing it for their own reason. <laughs> With all the diversity in comics and we're seeing more diversity in the creators, as an educator, do you see in a lot of the materials in schools that they're not diverse enough? Mm. In terms of like who's writing them, how people are portrayed in books, either about history or just like even some of the math problems the way they're written. Is it is it too much in the same old it's always been targeting a certain class of society versus being something that everyone can relate to or Everyone can see themselves in that situation. Do you, do you think that the, the schools are behind? Oh, well, of course the schools are behind. Um, the poor schools, they're just trying to... T too many people have their idea of what's important, and they're trying to, like, oh, we got to teach mm -hmm. this and this. And it's like this experiment, but really the educators are not the ones that get to make the decisions of how to teach. It's often other people, other administrators and like politicians that are deciding what is best. So the teachers are often not as much in control of how they get to teach and what they get to teach. That's right. It's, it's, uh, uh, they don't have a complete say over the curriculum and they don't have much of a budget and sometimes they have to put their own money into it just to give class yeah. supplies. It just I seems was, so wrong. I know. It's part of the reason that I left public education. Um, and so now I do school visits and I'm more of a, a freelance traveling around artist. So it's actually interesting to go to different schools and sort of take the temperature of like what's going on here and what are you guys struggling with over here. Um, and it's, there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. It's really, um, I'm glad that, I mean, I'm a, had to admit that I'm a highly sensitive person. That's my label. Um, and so being in the classroom full time was super draining. Just, and I thought that I could martyr myself for these kids, but is that gonna help? So actually 
channeling my voice into stories and teaching through story, like I'm going to have a character that has a sketchbook and she's going to sort of walk you through like how do you sort of weave this into your life and how does this help you learn how to be brave and come out of your shell. And another book, the characters learn sort of how to work together to create like an arts carnival. So I try to use stories to sort of help me teach in a way that is different than in a classroom. Because I feel like when you see a character reflect something about you, or you see yourself represented, that's when you feel like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Or like, oh, maybe I could come out of my shell. Uh, so, uh, so I love doing school visits, but I'll, then it's nice to go back to the studio and just sort of, I don't know, teach in the most authentic way, which is sort of through modeling. Like, I'm just gonna be, you know, I'm a well-trained introvert, so I was like, I'm going to be brave to show them how to do it, because it's hard. I didn't want to come out of my shell and like tell my talk about myself. It's like, no, someone else will do that. But a lot of introverts, you know, it's hard for us to see ourselves represented because we're just like hiding and like, don't look at me. Uh, but we, that emotional sensitivity, like, is a gift that we have to offer because we can help everyone figure out how to be a human and not a robot or a zombie because um, it's uncomfortable being a human and also starting awkward conversations which is also what artists are good for. <laughs> That's really interesting how you're addressing the problem from the outside going in versus since you're restrained in the public school system on trying to address a lot of these issues. You can come in from the outside and you do want kids to learn things outside of school so you, you encourage them to read things and what's going to appeal to them? Something that attracts them, something that they see themselves in. Mm -hmm. You know, like I went and read comics and so I enjoyed them that was outside of school. And there'll be things that, that draw them out and expand their knowledge and their, their whole perspective of the world. Like, I'll give you a, a really nice example of a young man I interviewed a couple weeks ago, Bryce Bullock. He's nine years old, African-American. He wrote his own comic. His parents helped him with it and published it. It's his book. He went to a signing and a little kid came up, African-American kid, dressed like him as, a, oh. as the hero. And he says, why? Because I saw myself in that book. That's what you want to hear. <laughs> That's really nice. So you can see the positive impact this one little kid had one person can make a difference. You can uh, touch somebody else's life and inspire them. And that's yeah. what you're doing. And that's just a, a great thing to help make the change if you have to go from the outside in. And the kids inside will look out and say, oh, look, there's this. Yeah, I think there's so many different ways to be teachers. And a lot of teachers get burnt out. But there's more ways to teach than just in a public school classroom. Like there's, uh, like in Virginia, there's a huge like homeschool community. And they need <laughs> access to the arts and teachers, or like if there's a lot of after-school programming, or I do, you know, I do pop-in visits to a lot of schools. Um, but even just, yeah, just modeling it and living it is one way of, I feel like that's the hardest way to actually teach, but it's the best way, because you can't tell someone else what to do, but you can just, you just live it. Um, and at first I had trouble with putting the books out there, because I thought, who am I to, you know, like, my voice doesn't matter, and like, which is, <laughs> you know, fraud police. Um, but then I went to this uh, book festival in Texas, and it was right after I left New York, and I was living in my parents' basement, not feeling very cool, um, trying to like write at the new book to pitch and sell, um, and feeling like a failure. And I was riding over to this event with all these authors, but they were book authors. There was like James Dashner sitting there. I was like, oh gosh, I don't belong here. He has, this guy's got like 30 books. I've got two. 
Um, but then I saw our handlers, and my handler was this seventh grade girl named Karen with red hair and purple glasses, and she was just so excited to be my handler for the day. <laughs> and in that moment, I just thought, like, you were not going to doubt yourself because when I saw I saw Alison Bechtel do a talk once, and she was putting herself down a lot, and it kind of broke my heart because I look up to her, and I thought. If she is not enjoying this, what hope is there for me to enjoy this? And I thought of that with little Karen. I was like, okay, you're going to show her how to be brave, and you're going to have fun. You're going to accept That's her love. Modeling. You're going to yeah. accept her love and give her love because we're vessels for stories, but also just for love. Like I'm going to show you, like, like yes, like, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to be a little star. I'm going to act like I belong here, and then I'm not sure because if I. Sh show that doubt with her that would just break her heart because she sees herself in me because I feel like the big thing with stories is like once you sort of surrender to them then you realize it is about you but it's not about you that you're speaking for a lot of people um, a lot of people who maybe don't have the vocabulary to express what's going on inside their head but maybe you can tap into it um, and give voice to yeah so people don't feel like that they're broken or crazy so giving them permission to be themselves, because if we're comfortable with ourselves, and they're like, oh, there's hope for me. Because I used to think it was really sort of polite of me as a Southern woman, You're like, oh, just like, I don't deserve this, and be really coy, like, I'm just a small town girl. Be like, no, like, <laughs> that's not gonna fly. You know, at some point, you just gotta own it uh, and be brave. So my new book is all, it's a sketchbook uh, called Sketchbook Dares, because it's all drawing dares, because even just filling a blank page in a sketchbook is terrifying. Mm -hmm. It is like, that's what helped me learn how to be brave in the real world. It's like, if I can take a risk on paper, then I can take a risk in the real, real world. It's, uh, it's sort of like an educational thing. Um, how you can take something from, you know, this two-dimensional space and you're like sort of training yourself to do it in the real world. Um, what other books do you have? Tell us about everything else you're working <laughs> on. I mean, I don't want to leave anything out. Uh, that sounds great. Oh yeah, first book, it's a redhead from Virginia that moves to New York. So it was, yeah, I'm not good at making <laughs> stuff up. Um, <laughs> so that one's set in Brooklyn, and it sort of is half in reality than half in my character's head, which is was really fun to draw, because I never saw a book like it before. Um, and thankfully, somehow got a, a pub, like, publisher had an they were looking for more female creators, so actually it worked in my benefit to be a girl. So like, oh, girls like comics, like you have a, a distinct voice. I didn't really know the language of comics, so that was a learning curve, very humbling. Um, and then Will and Wit, the second book, is set in Charlottesville, which there's a lot of strange parallels um, with recent events and conversations about people coming together across their bubbles in how the arts can create shared experiences to unify, you know, and spread understanding and vulnerability. Um, the new book is Sketchbook Dares, which takes back takes me back to my original, my start in sketchbooks, because that's how I got started as a creator. Um, and uh, it's my top 24 favorite activities. And so it's sort of a holistic approach. So a quarter of the dares target the hands, then heart, then the head, and then the spirit. 
Because I feel like a lot of drawing books are focused on hands, like how to technically draw. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, like learning how to do perspective or something is like one thing. But I always wanted to know like the other stuff. Like, well, how does this help me express my emotions? How does this help me connect with the world around me? Um, so I try to, so it's a mixture. Um, and then I'm working on a new book now for my publisher, Abrams, that I'm going to start drawing next month. And it's, a, I don't have the title yet, but it's about a girl named Mona who's depressed and anxious. Um, and I sort of personify her negative emotions as her matter, because I don't like using the word depression, because I don't want, I feel like I'm not an expert in depression. I don't want to, I feel like it's, we have a lot of charged words, so I like to make up mm. new words. Okay. So like I call collaborators, we're artners. Um, <laughs> okay. Yes, artner. Ah. Um, and my partners and I, we have like a whole vocabulary and language about sort of reframing healthy, creative relationships. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so the matter is like my negative emotions. So I sort of personify it as this, like, you know, because um, to me, like my sadness does feel like sort of this, like, this black hole, like this dark matter that sucks me in. Because um, part of the, I, you definitely use stories for healing because if I personify like my matter and my inner critic and um, then I can better notice when they're talking to me. I'm like, you know what, that's not true. Like that's maybe, because sometimes when you're young, you listen to that like, oh, you're right, I suck, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But as you get older, it's like, oh, they, there's different voices because one of them is my genius. And so his name is Gene. He's really, <laughs> he's my fun little rainbow star. Um, and then, you know, ones like my ancestors who are sort of yelling at me to like, stop questioning yourself and just go for it, girl. Like, <laughs> I didn't get to do that, so, yeah. Boo-hoo, champagne problems. Uh, yeah, so Mona's story has been interesting. Uh, I feel like I'm still getting to know her, so I still haven't totally cracked because there's always like the secret, the real theme of your story. You think you're writing about one thing and making sure about one thing, but then once you're working on it, you realize it's about something else. So I haven't figured that out okay. yet. So I'm sort of like, what is it? But it's a story more about healing than depression. Okay. So I want it to be more about the medicine. Mm -hmm. So I let my boyfriend read it. And, uh, he's like, oh, it's about friendship. I was like, oh, good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to make you more sad because yeah. sometimes telling stories about sadness just reinforces sadness so it starts off with swimming in the sad but then it becomes more about like how creativity and friendship um, help us sort of figure out like notice our patterns and uh, figure out like what works for us and normalizing things like going to therapy um, and so yeah that story I'm trying to make it as personal as possible so there's like the first time I have scenes in bathrooms, for example. So I was like, oh, I've never had a scene in a bathroom. Um, and there's more stuff that's about like her biology. Like she has some health issues that were health issues that I've had. So it's definitely like more, yeah, it gets into more like personal stuff and has some things that are more who I was actually in high school. So, cause I feel like I've learned that that's what people want. They don't want the stuff that makes you look cool. They want the, st the most embarrassing thing about you. That's what they relate to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. If only it was the cool stuff, but no. They want like the vomiting stories and you know, all the embarrassing moments. Um, that, cause that's our job is to just be as vulnerable as possible and it's sort of I don't know. That makes it well, the most relatable. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. I agree 100%. That's why I always ask my guests these fun questions so I can learn more about them. You just gave me a great segue. With vomit? <laughs> no, well, well no, embarrassing moments. And I won't make them embarrassing moments, I promise. Won't put you on the spot. But that is a good question. Uh, the first question I ask everyone is, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation when you're not working? Oh, gosh. That is a good question. Um, I've been focused a lot on my, my self-care the past couple of years, knowing I was going to work on this book. Mm -hmm. um, so I could draw about very these sort of open up these old wounds and not get sucked in. So I've sort of been grounding myself through um, stuff that is really healthy and rejuvenating for me. So um, like since I left New York and back in Virginia, a lot of like hiking and camping, outdoorsy stuff I find very helpful. Um, and I've been doing more dance lately okay. as sort of a an expressive outlet that's not using my head. Because I feel like I used to, oh, I'm just going to draw more for fun. It's like, well, then I'm just, there's so much drawing. Um, we need another language and something that get, keeps me in my body from not just being in my head all the time. So it's like, get back down here. And I love singing also. Um, like I sing in the studio a lot, especially um, if I'm like inking or something, I'm starting to get too tight. It's like, it sort of, I don't know, relaxes me. And, uh, yeah, I'm part of like a feminist art group in Charlottesville okay. um, that started in the summer, which has been fun to sort of find my weirdos, because there's not as many weirdos in Virginia as there are in New York. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, okay. and I got a kitty named Rory who oh, right. keeps things right. entertaining, because every cartoonist <laughs> has a cat. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thinking back to when you were little, I'd say around 12 or so, what pictures or posters did you have on your bedroom wall? Oh, I was, at that age, I was definitely in my, I want to be a Disney animator phase. Okay. So I was obsessed with, uh, oh yeah, that was like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, like that golden era of Disney movies. Um, so probably some of those on my wall. At that time I was also into, oh, what else? Saturday Night Live, In Living Color. X-Files. Definitely wrote some X-Files fan fiction. <laughs> How about music? What were you listening to? Uh, I played violin, so actually oh. I was more... I felt like that music was just another way for me to not be cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I saw it. It was like, I'm scared to have an opinion and all this new stuff, so I focused on more like classical music. I was really into movie scores. The first CD I bought, I remember, was John Williams' The Jurassic Park soundtrack. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but then, of course, I got more into, um, I think Radiohead was like my first, like, what? Modern music? Like, uh -huh. entry point uh, was the Benz, which yep. I wore that CD out. I have that one. They still listen yeah. to Radiohead. <laughs> um, yeah, music is a big part of my studio process. I listen to a lot of music and I curate mixes. Um, so the right soundtrack is always like, I can't work without the right soundtrack. So it's like the, my companion. Okay. <laughs> now thinking back to a favorite birthday that you had, why was it your favorite? Or I should just say one that you remember that really stands out for good or bad. Mm. Well, the first one that pops in my head was, I think it was my 29th birthday, 29th or 30th. Um, it was one of those, I'm growing up. 
ages. And I had a Alice in Wonderland themed picnic in New York uh, down by the river. But it was really silly and whimsical because it was all my colorful New York friends wearing their interpretations of characters. And we were like playing croquet and like having like whiskey out of teapots. And, nice. Um, <laughs> I had made some pinatas that were that looked like different characters but they had like condoms in, in them <laughs> because don't at mix the clinic, them up and take it to the kids party whoops balloons kids because <laughs> a friend of mine he had come by one of the like the the free clinics and they just gave him this giant bag of condoms and he brought it to at the time my money work was as a scenic artist in a shop where we did like the macy's Saxon and lord and taylor christmas windows okay so one of my dear partner friends, Adam, he brought in this big bag of condoms, like, oh, who wants condoms? It was like, oh, pinata. Safe sex for everybody. So that was a really fun party, and um, yeah. So you had whiskey in a teapot, which leads me to ask you, what is your beverage of choice when you're resting and relaxing? What do you like to drink? I guess one says with Tulsi tea. It's a okay. holy basil, so their turmeric ginger is like my, my favorite. Okay. Because um, I definitely have tried to taper down my drinking, because I used, in New York, I feel like it really brought out my just coffee, 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 yeah. then beer, beer, beer. Up and um, down, up and down. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, I definitely had some like health issues uh, after I left New York. So since then, I actually made a drinking contract with myself. Uh, for a couple years just to sort of, I don't know, take it out of my daily life just because it became my part of daily life. It was like, I need to make this special like, and not do it alone. Like, <laughs> so, but if, if I'm getting a drinky drink, normally I'll like a, uh, like a Jameson and soda. Okay. Like my... <laughs> yeah, that's nice. You know, I like that. I'll do it with Diet Coke. I'll cut down on the sugar. And I found out, this was not intentional, that it works faster when you don't have like a sugar-based Coke. Oh. But that it impedes the, the uh, absorption of alcohol. And that was not my intent, but you're just sitting there saying, I'm saving calories. And it's like, wait a minute, why can't I feel my feet? It's a diet <laughs> soda. <laughs> if you were an action figure, someone made an action figure of you, what would your accessory be? Actually, I do have an action figure. You do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? How did you come up with that? Well, my friend, a friend when I was living in New York, because these opportunities only happen when you live in a place like New yeah. York. My friend Hackett was coming up with a system, um, this was a while ago, I feel like now there's there's better systems for sort of, you know, like scanning somebody um, oh, 3D yeah. and yep. like using a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of made this like turntable um, and he had this scanner. He basically was like, I want to make action figures. Could you be like a model and I'll give you one? Um, so I was wearing like just this sort of, actually a, a red unitard from, um, Color Guard and marching band in okay. like high school, which yeah. weirdly still fits. Um, and a belt, like an old Star Wars like utility belt. Um, and uh, yeah, I do. I would have a, a, a like a what is it like a bow staff? Because okay. I did flag yes. in school, so I definitely I can yield. Uh. <laughs> okay, the wheel of both staff. Yeah, I feel like that would be my weapon of choice. It's a good weapon, non-lethal, but it can be very effective in stopping an attack. And it's just very satisfying too, just like can't beat it, it with a stick. Uh. <laughs> sorry, I'm a little loopy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like puns. <laughs> so, uh, next question: 
if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could only have one book and it's something for fun and not a survival book, you know, we'll assume that you'll, you'll know how to survive, but what are you going to do to keep yourself occupied? What do you want to read? One book. Yeah. It can be a collection that there's like a set of the same author's series. I feel like the, the book that I probably have read the most, um, that I checked out the most from the library as a kid, it's the book of Greek myths. It's like, it's like D apostrophe, Aller, I forget the, the name, um, but it's like the yellow cover, and it's sort of like colored pencil illustrations. Okay. Uh, it's old, but it's funny, like I have a copy, my boyfriend also has a copy, because uh, we both were obsessed with it, because um, it's just all the Greek myth stories. So whenever I feel like I want to read something and I'm not sure what to read, or I don't don't have room for another world in my head. So a lot of times I can't read fiction because there's just not room in there. So I tend to read stuff that either that's like more reality based mm -hmm. or history or biography um, or something that I've read before. Just like so, oh, I'm enjoying this again, but I'm not inserting new data in there because there's just not a lot of room in this hard drive. <laughs> Um, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, so I just reread that book actually of all the Greek myths because they're just weird. And <laughs> yeah, they were weird. And final question: What is the one question that you've never been asked in an interview? Something you want an interviewer to ask you? Something you want people to know about you? What would that be? And then you have to answer it. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, I don't know. I can think of all the the top questions I get asked that I'm tired of answering. Uh, <laughs> okay. What did what you always could ask me? Like, oh, this again. Well, the top three questions are: Is that your real hair color? Did the tattoos on your ears hurt? And is your name one name or two names? You get that the most. Really? Those are like the top three questions. Always like it's such surface ones. But the ear tattoos. I never thought that it would stir so many questions. I, ear tattoos. That, that's interesting. Like most people just accept <laughs> that and don't even think to ask it. You know, doesn't doesn't even cross my mind. And the hair color. It's always like personal. It's like, well, okay, we'll just dive into it. As far as a question that I've never been asked, I don't know. It's hard to spot. Like the thing that. Yeah. I don't know. I have to chew on that one. Well, I think the panel that you set up and the topic you want to discuss says a lot about you as a person, what you're trying to accomplish, and I think that's something you want people to know about, so that would be my answer. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have it ready, that's what I would say. But I guess I always feel like that I see a big connection between story, like I always want to talk more about stories, mm -hmm. and I feel like education and sto is storytelling, that it's all the same stuff. And I feel like that we often compartmentalize, but I feel like that as creative people, we sort of are, I don't know, like I'm just knocking down the categories between like, I mean, storytelling in a book or storytelling in a classroom, it's, there's really similar and like teachers should be artists. I mean, that's what it is. Like whenever I teach something, when I tell a story, that's what people remember. That's the one thing they remember. Right is when you tell a story. It's like teachers, if they were allowed to actually be storytellers, you actually retain that information a lot more. Um, so I definitely think a lot about that, and I feel like that it's not really part of the mainstream conversation. That's interesting. Um, you know, they, they've stripped out the storytelling just to get down to the academic information. But yeah. that's just like cramming more facts into your head. 
but to remember things, you sometimes have to, like people build memory palaces or something, some some little story or path to kind of remember things, and just having a story. I mean, in the ancient things, they would tell stories. Oral traditions would just pass along stories, and they repeat something sometimes because by repetition, they remember these things, but they all did it through, all that information was embedded in the story. Um, and, and for example, in the martial arts, you know, they have things like katas, forms, and in that, dance in a sense not a dance but it, it looks like a dance is embedded all these techniques and how do you remember all that stuff you build it into a form yes yes i have a quote in the sketchbook dares this by Brene brown saying maybe stories are just data with a soul because ah. when i think about it that way it helps me tap into myself as a storyteller because i'm like oh how am i themes and stuff and it's like no it's just you're presenting data it's just information because i like to engage the logical part of myself to help me with the intuitive stuff. Because I can't always like pick apart what's happening in my heart, but I can always use my head to gain access or sort of, you know, change how I'm looking at it. It's like, oh, it's logical. Yes, I can do that. So a lot of us sort of, we celebrate logic more than intuition anyway. So sometimes I'll use it to my advantage. Um, because it is like presenting, like, yeah, what information am I sharing? Or even I talk about like when it comes to drawing, like it's just visual data visual data that you're moving from one place to another place and I feel like when you talk about these things using more of that language also I work really well with kids with Asperger's um, and like everyone on spectrum because we're all weird um, it helps us sort of look at like reframe it so it's less oh this is just like a natural skill or talent it's like no this is like there's an order there's a logic um, like back to your previous question about education and schools. Something I always love telling people about is Harry Gardner's um, multiple intelligences because he has identified eight so far. I'm sure those, there's, there might even be another one by now. Because uh, the schools only focus on, uh, let's see, it was math, um, verbal, like writing, verbal. Uh, spatial are like the only ones sort of covered in school but it doesn't cover like naturalistic intelligence which is like a kid who can identify all the birds calls and can speak to the plants I feel like that's a beautiful type of intelligence that's now sort of get, oh this is good because I'd have students who would think they were dumb I was like uh -huh. you're not dumb you're just smart in a way that school doesn't value right like there's right. interpersonal intelligence like people who actually really understand how to like read people and they and like have charisma and the, the social skills like that's an intelligence uh, so I always like to educate to share that with young people, you know, that they haven't, it is it is intelligence. Yes, it is. It might not be labeled that. Uh, that's great, because I've always felt that way. Oh, I have. I shouldn't say always, but when I was younger, I thought, well, I'm not that smart, I can't do X, Y, and Z. But then I'm like, no, but as I got older, I was like, but wait, I can do these things really well. Yeah. There's some value in that, you know? Like, I, like I have a inter, because interpersonal is between people, but intrapersonal is, intelligence as far as like it's basically the introspective one like the ability to sort of navigate more inside yourself and verbalize things it's more like you know poets and artists I'm like oh I'm smart that way but it wasn't it didn't seem smart uh, <laughs> but there is a skill to articulate what's going on in there uh, and through art's one of the best ways to do that yes through storytelling right 
And I think intuition is important too. I think it's downplayed too much. To me, what intuition is, I think some people that are really smart use intuition. It seems like it's intuition, but they're just processing things so fast. They're taking all that information through all their senses and it just it just comes out as an intuition. But I think it is just as important as the other kinds of intelligence. Yeah, I love all the intelligence. Uh, the other ones were, there's kinesthetic, which mm -hmm. is, you know, being able to control your body in space, which, yeah, I'm not as good So, like, don't one. talk with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I always get grief for that. Uh, as you say, my hands are folded right now, so I'm not like, oh, I, I'm, I'm half Italian, so I'm always like, ah. Oh, my gosh, I swear. Picture, any pictures of me doing public speaking, I make the weirdest faces, and I'm always just... Yeah, my wife. I was like tortured. <laughs> my wife yeah. says I make a face like a muppet when I'm mad. You know, so <laughs> you're being a muppet. Why are you saying that? Flail my arms around like Kermit. Anyway, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I don't have that intelligence. <laughs> We're just communicating. Harley, <laughs> it's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for talking. And thank you, Laura Lee. I hope to have her back on the show in the future for another interview. Coming up next, Rob Williams. His credits include 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, Suicide Squad for DC Comics, and now he's the writer of Project Superpowers coming out through Dynamite Entertainment, starting July 4th with Issue Zero. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot Devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe. The content is free. Just as valued are your comments and feedback. You can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, CreatorTalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts, and videos and other written articles on the website, CreatorTalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.